Well, uh, we finished today talking about depression, a topic that we think is important and oftentimes ignored and uh, something that, that churches pretend doesn't exist. And when they, you know, kind of acknowledge that it does exist, sometimes it's glossed over and people are told just, you know, be happy. Jesus loves you. Focus on that. As long as you grow as a person, then everything will be okay. And uh, uh, and I want to start again by saying first that I do believe in a clinical disease called depression, and I know some churches don't even believe that that exists and that it's that it's just I don't know an invention of those bad scientists and psychologists or something like that. Uh, but I do believe it exists, and this series is hopefully helpful if you are clinically depressed. Uh, but it's I'm using the term in a broader sense than just clinical depression, even though I believe in that. And so we're using it as really feelings of of dejection or despondence. And so as I use the word depression throughout, uh, that's what I mean. Uh, I also need to, to point out one more time, last time, so I don't get sued by you or anybody on the internet, that I am not a clinical psychologist or uh, licensed psychologist or counselor. And uh, so I, I, I don't speak from a position of, I know how your brain works and I understand psychology. But as I've said every week, I, I do have a, an understanding of the Bible. And I believe that the Bible speaks truth into every area of our life that is important including the area of our feelings and depression. And, and we've seen, I, I think, if you've been here, then you already are, are impressed, hopefully, by the Bible and how it, it speaks these, these just amazing truths. Like we looked at David, and he's a guy that's called the man after God's own heart. And David, in Psalm 42, describes depression and his depression perhaps better than any other person has ever done so in the history of the world, long before they knew about depression and what that could mean and how it could work in your brain. David was describing what it was like, and, and we talked about how depression doesn't define our faith, but our faith ought to define our depression. And then we, we looked at the story of Elijah and we saw that Elijah was uh, a person who, who really wanted to die. Uh, not a lot different than people who have suicidal thoughts. He looked at his life. He said, life is so bad. Uh, God has done so much to me and has failed me in so many ways that, that I don't want to live anymore. And we saw that there are several examples in the Bible of, of people that are so depressed that they just wish life would end, that God would take their lives. And we talked about how, how important that is to see because those men, those same men, were men that absolutely changed the world for the better because instead of ending their own lives or, or letting depression dictate their decisions, instead of that, they said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And God reminded Elijah and I think reminds us, hey, I, I love you, I'm caring for you, I feel for you, whatever that means for God, but it doesn't change what I've called you to do. And so it, instead of wallowing in your feelings and, and sitting in front of the couch just watching Netflix all day because you're depressed, the Bible doesn't say that, that's kind of a paraphrase, but uh, instead of sitting down and watching Netflix all day because you're depressed, you ought to be doing what God wants you to do because the state of the world and God's kingdom really depends on it like it did Elijah and other men in the Bible. And uh, We've seen these incredible truths that declare to us that, that depression is real, something that humans, even the greatest humans, will face, will deal with at some point in their life, but God is there to comfort us. 
And here's what, it's kind of on the opposite side when people talk about depression. I think all that's been hopefully very valuable to you and it's been valuable to me. But, but on the opposite side are these things where, where people just say kind of these cliches. And we've brought some of these up throughout. But, but there's like, just stay positive, you know. And, and when you're depressed... You're like, well, there's nothing to be positive about, and now I don't like you anymore uh, because you, you told me that, you know? And we said some of the other ones, like when you are broken up with and then somebody says there's other fish in the sea. Like, that's the worst, right? Like, nothing is worse than that. Or when somebody dies and, and, and inevitably you're at the funeral and somebody comes up to you and says they're in a better place now, and you're like, not helpful, I, you know, I figured but I, I wanted them here anyway you know and it's like now you made me sadder and more uncomfortable and and today uh, as we look at this passage it's it's my hope that that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying to be one of those cliches because I'm even going to talk about self-help books today a little bit and uh, and what this is the important part this is this is what I want you to notice this is what I want you to think about I don't want you to to, to misunderstand. What, I, what I'm going to say today is, is that perhaps this light that we search for when we're depressed, when all the lights have gone out, to just continue to carry that metaphor throughout, perhaps that light already resides within you. And you know, that kind of sounds cliche, but, but perhaps it resides within you, but it's not you. It, it's the work of God in you. And, and I think what we'll see is that, hopefully, I, I think you can understand this, that sometimes when we're depressed, uh, it's like we're holding a lantern, right, if we're Christians. And, and this is what I think we're going to see today. It's like we're holding a lantern, and, and at the same time, we're just looking out at the darkness. And the light is right next to us, right around us, right in us. But all we're looking at, I described a giant cave that I looked at once, a tunnel a couple of weeks ago. And all we're doing is we're looking far down in the tunnel, and we're going, everything is bad, and everything is dark. And all the while, the light's like right here. And sometimes I think, if we've been Christians long enough, that then we forget what Paul is going to kind of emphatically declare to us in 1 Thessalonians. And because we forget what he says and what we ought to do, sometimes we just look right over the top of the light. And we stay in the darkness because we refuse to look at the light that is in us, not us, but the light of God that resides in us. And here's how 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is said. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Terrible advice if you're depressed, right? Because if I walked up to you in your moment of depression and said, hey, it's okay, I know you loved them, but the Bible says rejoice always, you would, I would be one of those people to you. I'd be like that guy, you know, and like, why did you tell me that? I didn't need to hear that. I don't care. I, I don't want to rejoice. And, and so uh, as you see this, the first, if you're like me and you're honest, I'm a pretty honest person. If you're like me and you're honest, your first reaction to this verse, if you know nothing else about it, if you just came along, you're in First Thessalonians 5, you're reading, 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 and then you see rejoice always is to go, yeah, right. I mean, that is some of the most difficult, perhaps dumbest advice that, that a person could give because it, it sounds, if we're being honest, absolutely impossible, doesn't it? Like, I can't rejoice always because look what I'm going through. 
I can't rejoice always because look who I am. Look how God has created me. If you're a Christian, you would say it that way. Look at the situation I'm dealing with. Look at how those people treat me. Look at what's going on at my work and my job. Look at how my family is and the way they act. There's no way that I can rejoice always. But I think, and this is where, where Greek is really important, I think, because we have this idea of rejoice that's just like, be happy, just be happy all the time, and that's impossible. And in fact, one of the ways it gets translated is, is, is to be delighted, pleased, or to be glad. And it's like, well, that's, that's impossible. Like, I can't always be glad. Even if I am like, I will follow the Bible the most literally that I can, and I want to do it, and, and so I'm really, I'm going to try to do everything right. Still, we would be like, I can't be glad always because some things don't bring gladness. But that word is a simple word. It's the verb form of joy. And so it means to joy or to joy always. And I think that when the Bible states this word, it isn't telling us to always feel a certain way. It's telling us to act a certain way. That's what a verb is, right? It's an action. We know that if we've taken any English class. And, and I think what Paul is saying to us is not always feel a certain way, but always act in a certain way. Philippians 4.4, 4, he says basically the same thing, just in case you go, well, that's not that important. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But then in 2 Corinthians 6.10, that, that is the verse. This is the verse that, that really explains to us, I think, what Paul has in mind. Because Paul is also writing in 2 Corinthians, same guy. And here's what he says. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Poor, yet making rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. You see, what I think Paul is describing is a focus on what God has done in our lives despite how we might feel about what's going on in our lives. What I think Paul is getting at is, is that we must take a posture where we, instead of focusing on the darkness, we try to focus on the light. We try to focus on the work of God in our lives. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I've been totally broke, totally poor, had nothing, but yet I choose to focus. I choose to have the action of focusing on what God has done in my life, and so therefore I'm rich even though I'm poor. And when Paul says, I'm sorrowful, he's not saying, you know, I'm always happy. He's saying, in fact, in this moment, I'm sad. And we saw that Paul was so sad at points in his ministry, multiple points in his ministry, that he wanted God to kill him. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we love that and we put that on signs and we, we hold that as a banner high. But if you really think about it, it's a very depressing statement. I mean, if somebody said it to you, you'd say, have you talked to a counselor? You know, you would. That's how you would think of it. But we kind of go, well, that's very pretty. But Paul is saying in those moments, like, hey, I hurt, I'm broken, I'm sad, I don't like my life, but I am choosing to focus on what God has done for me and what God has done in me. You see, the, the first thing that I think Paul is describing for us is, is really just a focus, a focus, not a feeling, but a focus on that which is good. Paul is saying, instead of staring out at the darkness, 
why don't you turn your eyes to the light that resides in you, and that light is Jesus and the work that Jesus is doing in you. You see, here's the thing. We know this. This is absolutely uh, common knowledge. We cannot get rid of the darkness of feeling sometimes. But what Paul declares for us is that we can focus on the light. You can't get rid of the darkness, but you can focus on the light. Now, this is where I, I just a little bit of self-help because I like it when science finally catches up to the Bible. And I think that'll happen in all areas where science seems to contradict the Bible. The more people learn, the closer they get to what God already said a couple thousand years ago. And uh, LiveScience.com says this, Gratitude and optimism may be a key to managing depression. A new review of relevant research finds. Paul basically says, I, I feel sad, but I will express my gratitude. And, and here's the thing. He, he's like saying, I will remember the optimism that Jesus has always brought me. We should at all times, no matter how we feel, joy in God. I like that phrase, joy in God, despite what we might feel like. In fact, this is even a little more like if you look at psychology and the way psychology is developing, they're actually finding now that PAIs, that's positive activity interventions, help with depression. It's kind of a new study, go figure. Uh, Paul said 2,000 years ago, rejoice always. And now psychologists are like, maybe we should study what happens when people take these PAIs, these, um, where'd it go, lost it. I just lost my spot, I'm sorry. These, where's my PAS? Positive activity interventions. I wanted to get it right. And, uh, and so let me read some of them to you because they sound an awful lot like living like a Christian. Let me just read some of these to you. Acts of kindness. Sounds like something Christians should be doing. Expressing gratitude. Meditating on positive feelings towards others. Using one's signature strengths. I, I just would like to point out that in... in some ways, this is countercultural because our culture kind of says, do what you feel like doing, do what's good for you. Uh, you know, we, our TV shows are in large part built on negativity about others, and we laugh at the negative things in people, and we like to focus on, you know, killers and things like that. We really like the negative side of things. But psychologists now are telling us if we focus on the positive, then depression gets better faster in people. And I'm pretty certain that they're talking about clinical depression. Now, here's the other just crazy part to me about this, is that those things, those uh, positive activity interventions, they, they're actually, in some ways, the, the very things that we've built our entire church on. I mean, we built our entire church on, on serving, and we've built our entire church on believing in Jesus, and we built our entire church on connecting with others, and we built our entire church on gathering together to express gratitude to God and to hear from him. And here comes these psychologists along and say, hey, we have an idea. What if people, instead of giving in to their feelings, would just do these things that are positive despite their feelings? Maybe they'd get better, and they started to test them, and it turns out that they get better. But here's the thing about our world that's so fascinating to me. Our world is constantly, constantly, constantly telling people, just do what feels like the right thing to do. 
right? Constantly we hear that. Just if it feels right, then go ahead and do it and that'll be okay. And that is great for the world when they want to do things that bring them pleasure, right? I mean, that is a great idea if you're in the moment and it's like, well, this sounds good and the right thing must be to give into it because I think that it will feel good. But what the world forgets is something that thankfully our God has not forgotten. And that is when the the negative feelings come, it's really dangerous to just do what you feel like doing, isn't it? I think that as depression rises in our culture, we could probably make a connection to the fact that we are being told more and more and more, just do what feels normal, do what feels right. Because people go, well, I'm slightly depressed, and so I'll just sit around and do whatever makes me feel good in this moment. Or I'm slightly depressed, this drug will help, and it will make me feel better, so why don't I get in, give in to it? I'm slightly depressed, and so I don't feel like doing anything, I won't do anything. And we now know from psychology that that's going to make you more and more and more depressed and so as we watch the depression rates around our country rise and rise and rise and rise we can't help I don't think but go wait a minute perhaps it's because you're just telling us all the time to give into our feelings and giving into our feelings psychologists are telling us will never make us feel better it will only if anything make us feel worse you see people give in to their feelings, and they get more and more depressed. You know this. When you feel a certain way and you do something out of that feeling, oftentimes you feel worse, right? Like, I don't feel like I'm in a good mood. I yell at my wife, and then I'm in a worse mood because now I'm a guy that yells at his wife plus whatever happened earlier in the day. It never works. And psychologists, like I said, are finally catching up to the Bible. There's this other thing in psychology that I learned in studying for this, this sermon series, and that, uh, that's something that we kind of all know. I, I, I would have called it self-help, but, but there's these, this term, positive self-talk. And basically, it's like you just say nice things uh, about the world and about yourself, and, and it's supposed to make you feel good. And, and here's the interesting part, is that they're actually finding, usually it was just like if you say enough nice things about yourself, you'll be rich, but they're actually finding that saying nice things in general, positive self-talk, eventually helps people break at least somewhat depression. And so they have this list of things that I just found so fascinating when I was studying, just so fascinating, like this. Depression will not last forever. So if a person will say that to themselves, then it's going to help them eventually at least be less depressed, slightly less depressed. I am not hopeless. I have the ability to help others. I choose to forgive. I am not perfect. I see the good around me and in other people. And, and here's... Here's what's just kind of blows my mind. Is that if it works for people to say these things when they don't even know if they're true, how much more will it help us who are Christians if we focus on these things knowing that they are true of us because we have theology to back up this branch of psychology? I mean, frankly... If you're depressed and you're not a Christian, your depression might last forever. You might be depressed until the very end of your life and then die and be more depressed because you're not in heaven. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But if we're Christians, then we absolutely have been told by the God that we serve that our depression won't last forever. And some days we'll focus on next week on Palm Sunday. Uh, Someday there will be a time for us where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears. That's what Palm Sunday reminds us of. 
So we look at this and it's like, wow, it works for people in breaking depression just to say it. My depression will not last for not knowing if it's true, not knowing if they have a way out of their depression. But for us who are Christians, how much more will it help if we're like, yeah, my depression won't last forever because Jesus came and he died on a cross for me and he rose again and I get to go to heaven someday where there will be, according to Jesus himself, no more sorrow, no more pain and no more tears. I am not hopeless. We just did a whole sermon series on the hope that we have in Jesus Because we who are Christians actually have hope. That's the difference. That's a major difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. There's a lot of differences, I hope. But one of them is that we actually have reason to hope. A person that's depressed and and isn't a Christian, I just, I I, I don't want to sound like crass or like I don't care. But frankly, uh, you, you might be hopeless. I mean, the only true hope that we have in this life, it will never be found in, in positive statements and it will never be found in trying harder. It, it will always and only be found in Jesus and having a relationship with him. I have the ability to help others. I mean, there are like chapter after chapter in the Bible that say basically this. Once you become a Christian, God equips you spiritually to be able to serve others in a new way. And so I just, I mean, yeah, you might have the ability to help others in some kind of nice little kind of teeny sense. But we as Christians have the ability to help others in a supernatural spiritual sense in a way that will benefit them not just today or tomorrow or next week or next month or even for a year, but for their entire eternity. We have that as a spirit, they're called, isn't that interesting? Spiritual gifts. And a lot of times we're like, well, man, I got this spiritual responsibility that God has given me. Wish I didn't have it. But psychologists are telling you that it's part of you not being depressed to go, wait a minute, I have been equipped in a supernatural way to, to serve other people. Something we call you to at this church. You should be serving other people in this church. If you're not, you're not doing what God wants you to do. Or how about this? I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. People outside of Jesus, I I don't even think they really know what forgiveness is. I think they think, I think most of them, almost all of them think that it's like feeling better about a person. But we learn from Jesus that forgiveness is far beyond feeling better about a person because sometimes we won't feel better about people and we still should forgive them. Sometimes we'll still be mad as we can possibly be on our insides, but we should still forgive them. And what forgiveness means, we learn it from Jesus, is being willing to sacrifice of ourselves so that the punishment that that other person deserves is taken away. Short, easy example. You feel like yelling at somebody. You know, in fact, that yelling at somebody will make you feel slightly better. But you sacrifice and you say, well, I'm not going to yell at you and I'll just eat it. It's terrible sometimes, right? Isn't it terrible? Because some people deserve to be yelled at. But that's forgiveness. That is forgiveness. And only we who are Christians know how to really do it. And so we can only choose to forgive. And when we say, I I choose to forgive, we can mean it. That's the difference. I am not perfect. Well, that doesn't sound like a great thing to say when you're depressed to me. That doesn't even sound like a positive self-talk to me. That's, I'm not perfect. Yeah, obviously. I mean, wouldn't be depressed if I was. But we can add to that statement, right? I am not perfect, but God has created me in a meaningful, valuable way. And and I was created in such a valuable way that he chose to come down and die for me anyway. And I'm loved despite being imperfect. I mean, we can add to this statement that really isn't that helpful at all. I'm not perfect, but 
But I know such an incredible grace and, and such an incredible mercy and love that I feel okay about myself anyway, despite not being perfect. I can see the good around me and in other people. Frankly, I don't know how you can see that if you don't believe that God created. I mean, because if people are just this thing that happened by chance, then maybe they're good, maybe they're not good. I don't know. I've seen a lot of wretched people, but I believe that they have value and worth because I believe that God created them in his image and that God even offered salvation to them. And apart from Jesus and my relationship with Jesus, I would look at a lot of people and say, there's nothing good in those people at all. But because of what theology teaches me, I go, wait, yeah, there must be not something good in and of themselves, but something valuable because what God has done in their creation and and in offering them the gift of eternal life. You see, I just, sometimes as Christians, this is dangerous, I think. We just want to like say, well, psychology and the sciences, they're over there and and we as Christians are over here. and, uh, And here's what I believe. That if psychology says something right, it's going to align with the Bible. And in this case, when we talk about seeing the light, it aligns perfectly because Paul comes along, a depressed guy at certain points of his life, and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice always. I want you to celebrate the work that God has done in you always, even if you don't feel like it. What Paul says is that, look, hey, there's darkness all around you, but instead of focusing on the darkness, I want you to turn your eyes to the light of God's salvation and his love and his mercy and the fact that he created you with worth and value and the fact that he has given you spiritual gifts to serve others and that he has provided people to come around you and to take care of you and love you and to be there for you and they gave us the gift of church instead of focusing on the darkness focus on the light that already exists inside of you and 2,000 years later psychologists come along and say yeah we should try that we should try that and here's the thing the first thing that I think you need to do if if you're going to, to beat depression if you're going to find comfort in depression is that you need to be a person that instead of always focusing on the darkness that sometimes you won't be able to get rid of I promise when bad things happen or your brain goes in a certain way and things start happening inside of you, you may not be able to get rid of the darkness, but you can always, no matter what, you can always focus on the light. You can rejoice always, no matter how you feel. The assurance, because we tried to make this sermon series driven by assurances and not like do something different, but the assurance is this for Christians. No matter what you face, no matter what you've been through, no matter what happens around you or even inside of you, you always have something to rejoice in because of the work that Jesus has done through you, in you, and for you. The assurance that we have as Christians is that no matter what we face, there is always light that we can focus on even when the world seems so, 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 so dark. But Paul doesn't leave us there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray continually. Pretty simple. Let me just say this outright. Let me just say it in the clearest way. If you are depressed and not praying, then you are not doing what you ought to be doing. I was asked uh, to have coffee with somebody in our church during this series because I said, uh, no matter if you're depressed, you need to do the right things anyway. I think I said it 
uh, in a better way than that. But that was pretty much the point. Even if you're depressed, you need to continue to do the right things. And that person asked a very simple, logical question. Uh, they said, how do I know that I'm doing the right things? And uh, for that person, thankfully, I was able to say, well, I, I think you are. I can't be God for you, but I, I think you are, and I think you're doing what you ought to be doing. Uh, but I can tell you this, simple. If you're depressed and you're not praying, then you're not doing the right things. And a lot of times, and this is so backwards, but this is how our minds work and our hearts and our souls, we, we get downcast. We get downcast. We feel bad. We see the darkness. And instead of praying, turning towards God, who is the light of the world, instead of that, what we do is we, we blame God, we reject God, we turn away from God, and we're like, God, I would pray if you would just make me feel better. That's not even just a depressed thing, is it? I mean, a lot of you, I'm sure, right now in front of me, are people who would just say something, if you were being totally honest, like, I would pray more if God would just make me feel like praying more. If God would just make himself more entertaining than my phone or my TV, then, you know, if God would just, just you know, do something supernatural, if he'd make that speaker fall over right now, then I would, you know, then I'd pray, you know. And if I could just feel different or care more, then I would really get involved in this prayer thing. And, and Paul says pray continually. There's no circumstance where that shouldn't be true of us, that we are praying continually. I love that word continually, that's important, that doesn't mean that's all you do is pray, but it means that you are praying constantly and you are praying consistently. I think those words fit better in English. You should be praying all of the time to say it our way with an idiom that's in English. Uh, you should pray all the time, you should pray uh, every day, you should pray at night, you should pray when something comes up in your daily uh, life and you're like, I need help, you should just be a person of prayer and I'm, I just believe, I really do believe that depression will be helped if you will just pray. Because if you are not praying, then you are not doing what God has called you to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, this one too. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's tough, right? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks in all circumstances on face value seems just impossible. The word translates a Greek word that means basically to show oneself grateful. And I think, I believe, and, I, and it wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't true, that it means that no matter what we face, we must express our gratitude towards God. No matter how dark the world seems, we must give thanks for the light that God has provided to us. Corey Ten Boom, uh, who was person that was in concentration camps you've never read anything about Corrie ten boom then uh, just go google her later it's uh, she has an incredible story the hiding place is her book i would highly recommend reading that uh, but there's this story in there that I ta i've talked about in sermons before but it's worth repeating and uh, usually it just comes to me on the spot and then i just kind of throw it out there and and it's not very well done but uh, her and her sister were together in a concentration camp and her sister was a, a really a powerful woman of faith and and Corey Ten Boom too, but uh, at certain points in the story, not as not as faithful. That's probably not the word. Not as much faith in what God would do as her sister. And uh, so they're moved into this new barracks of their concentration camp, and they move in. And her sister says to her, 
God says give thanks in all circumstances. So let's, let's bow our heads and, and give thanks to God for being in this new room of a concentration camp. It sounds loony, right? And, and that's what Corey Tinboom thinks about her sister's idea. But she kind of begrudgingly just goes for it. Like, yeah, sure, God, thank you that we're moved in here. And thank you that there's more people in here so it'll be warmer. And thank you that, you know, we're together. That's one of the things they pray. And then her sister says, and God, thank you for these fleas. And apparently this new room that they had moved into was just full of fleas. I mean, just all over the place. You couldn't move without having a flea get on you and bite you, and it's terrible. And, and Corey Ten Boom, in writing about it later, says that was like too much. You know, like I was done. I wasn't going to thank God for the fleas. And her sister bows her head and says, God, we thank you for these fleas. So one day Corey's off, and, and she comes back, and her sister's there, and, and they were supposed to be, uh, her sister and some other people, making different, uh, uh, like, socks and beanies and stuff to support the war effort, something I'm sure they weren't thrilled about doing. And, uh, and they weren't meeting their quota, which is going to have, you're going to be punished, and you're going to be hurt, and something was going wrong. And so the, the master that's over them and the guards are coming in there to lay down the law or whatever. And they stop at the front door and they won't go in because the fleas are so bad. And so when Corey Timboom walks in, her sister's looking at her all proud and goes, I told you we need to thank God for the fleas. And sometimes I think that we need to take this posture. God, I believe what you say and that is that you will not let me deal with anything that you won't use to make me better in the long run. And so sometimes I think that we should thank God for the fleas. But even, even if you can't be thankful for the fleas, you need to be thankful despite the fleas. And not just thankful in some, I feel thankful, this is nice, or whatever, you know, thankfulness feels like. But I think you need to be, because this is what the word means, expressing your thanks to God no matter what you are facing. You see, even in your darkest, most depressed moments, I think what God is calling us to is to continually be thankful for the things that he has done. And in case you're going, well, that's okay, whatever, you know, and that's not that important. Notice that phrase, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a crazy, like, add-on? Like, I mean, there's a lot of things stated in the Bible that we think are really, really important. But here Paul chooses to be like, oh, and by the way, give thanks always for this is Christ's will for you. Wow, I should really pay attention to that. In Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, it says, sing and make music from the Lord, excuse me, from your heart to the Lord always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul repeats it. And in Romans 1.21, it's probably something you've never paid attention to, even if you've read Romans 1 a million times, there's this description of people who have rejected God, who have, have chosen not to give their lives to God and worship God. They've rejected Him outright. And in 121, there's this description. It's characteristic. And what it says is that they refused to give thanks to God. We live in a pretty thankless society, do we not? We live in a society that expects things to be handed to them, and when they get them, it's, it's really an attitude of entitlement more than it is an attitude of thanks. And in large part, I can see how this mentality that kind of drives our culture has seeped its way into the Christian culture. If we were being perfectly frank with each other, 
we would act, we might even say that God saved us, that God has worked in us because we are so lovable, because we deserve so much, because God created us in such a cool way. And if we were just being totally honest, we, we would say that we feel that way, right? God saved me because he should save me. And what that does, what that does is it causes us, it causes us to not be thankful to God for the light that he has provided us. There's this story in the Bible about these 10 guys with leprosy. And Jesus heals 10 of them, and they all go away pumping their fists and all excited. And the Bible tells us that, that one guy comes back and comes to Jesus and says, thanks. And we look at that story, and, and in some ways we're incensed, are we not? Like, how dare those other nine guys not think about what Jesus has done for them, not say thank you? I mean, how dare they just pretend that it wasn't him who did it and go along with their, go on with their lives just being happy but forgetting the source of that happiness? But if we were to look inward, aren't we more often like those nine guys with leprosy than we are the one? Don't we just go, yeah, Jesus saved me. I'll get to heaven someday. I'll live the way I want. And, and, and we totally forget, unless it's Sunday morning and we put lyrics in front of you, that we ought to be giving thanks to Jesus. You don't have to raise your hand on this. And I say that up front in case one of you did and it would get really awkward. But let me just, let me just ask you this question. How many times this week, this week, did you thank God for anything? And when you did it, was it sincere at all? Or was it like, God, I thank you for whatever. And by the way, here's a list of my needs. Here's a list of the things I want you to do this week, if you prayed at all. And Paul says right here, it's clear, one of the key tenets of a Christian life is just being thankful no matter what circumstances you're in. And I believe, I really do believe that if we will give thanks always, then it prevents us from rejoicing in ourselves. And that's the self-help fear, right? Like rejoice always, and if we turn and we look inward, then perhaps we could come to a place where we're just rejoicing in who we've become and what we're able to accomplish and all the things that we can do for God, perhaps, or just in general. But Paul says rejoice always, pray continually, and then give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always and then turn your eyes away from yourself and point them at the God who has created us and sustains us and exists in heaven, but also, and I think this is the key, resides within us if we have given our lives to Jesus. You see, we are constantly, and this is, this is what we just need to hear this morning, we are constantly, and this is the problem with breaking depression, we are constantly looking at the darkness around us but we far too often forget to look at the light that has come into our lives, the light that is Jesus and all of the hope and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the value and the worth that he has brought unto us. You see, if you are, and I'm telling you, if you are a person who is trying to break your depression by turning your eyes outward, then you're just gonna see more and more dark. I mean, the world is filled with darkness. And the more you try to break the darkness in you by looking at it, the more you're just gonna get sucked into it. And you'll feel worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, 
people, like, I know this. People try to break depression by looking at TV, right? I mean, that's a thing that you've done in your life. You've just turned the TV on and thought, this will help because it'll make me forget all of my problems and I won't have to think about it anymore and I can get on with it. And what happens inevitably? I mean, what happens? Something will come on TV that will push you further into that darkness. You'll be reminded of how you feel inadequate. You'll be reminded of, of, of death. You'll be reminded of what you've done wrong and your sin, and you will feel darker and darker and darker. And, and I think the suggestion that Paul gives us, not, not even suggestion, the command that Paul gives us here in 1 Thessalonians is a command that I think will drive away depression because, because it will move us away from focusing on the darkness that's so prevalent in our world and instead focusing on what Jesus has done for us. And so here... Here's what I, I need for you. Joy always, pray continually, and give thanks in everything. And if I can just offer anything, anything at all to help you with depression, and I hope I have, but if I can offer one thing that, that really matters, it's this. Every day, wake up. Every day, celebrate what God has done in you. Every day, pray to God for the help that you need. And every day, offer thanks to God for the things he has already done in your life. I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to break depression. But here's, here's one more thing. Depression and Satan and all the bad stuff that goes into being depressed will fight against that with everything, with everything they can put towards it. I can guarantee you that if you're depressed right now, you already know what I'm about to say is true. But the, but the last thing you're going to feel like doing or want to do is get up and say, God, I'm rejoicing in you. I'm focusing on the good. God, here's the list of my needs. And God, thank you for what you've done. Everything will push you the other direction. You're going to want to get up. Late, sleep in, not get up at all if you can help it, stay in bed all day. You're going to want to talk about negative things and think about negative things and focus on how you have problems and the things that you've done wrong and, and you're going to want to feel bad and just focus on other things that feel bad and notice the negative in every single person around you and look at God and say, how dare you put me in this situation and God, it's your fault that I feel like this in the first place and I can't believe you would ever put me in this situation. Paul says, stop thinking about the darkness. He doesn't say it'll be easy, but he says, joy always, pray continually, and give thanks in everything. And once again, the assurance for us as Christians is that we always have something to joy in, and we always have someone to pray to, and we always have thanks, things to be thankful for. Will you pray with me, Lord? And I know, God, there's people right in front of me right now who are depressed and all they want to do, all they feel like doing is giving in to their feelings and focusing on what's bad. Uh, you know, the things they did wrong four years ago that led to where they are now, the things that, that have hurt them, the things that you have done wrong to them in their minds, the, the things that people have done around them that, that have left them broken and hurting, they're, they're physical pain or sickness, Lord. God, that's just unbecoming of Christians. And it doesn't help. And I pray that you would break that chain, God, the chain of darkness, to mix metaphors again. I, I pray, Lord, that, that they would turn their eyes away from just what the world has thrown at them and, and hurt them with, and they would turn their eyes to you, Lord. And I know, God, I know that there are people 
perhaps in front of me, but at least that will listen online, that, that don't love you. They are not Christians. And God, they've spent their whole lives trying to find light. And they search for light in everything else that's not you because, because they don't want to give themselves to you. They don't want to turn to you. They don't want to see the light, Lord, because the light will, will challenge you know, their, their views of reality and, and challenge their behaviors. And so they reject you. But God, I pray that they would give their lives to you because you are the only true light, Lord. You are the only real source of goodness that the world has. And so I pray, God, that they would turn to you and stop rejecting you, stop looking at darkness to fix their darkness, but turn and find the light, Lord. Please, please, God, let your spirit move in people's lives. God, just pray for us that are Christians that we would rejoice always and we would pray continually and we would give thanks in all circumstances. Even, God, when we are so depressed that we don't feel anything good, the last thing we want to do, I pray we would be faithful to that commandment and, and God, that you would work in us, help our feelings to align with our actions. I pray these things in your name. Amen.